the contemplative tradition of prayer, uh, sometimes that has been kind of separated from um, mission and from life in the world for the sake of the world. And it's just become almost this kind of like navel gazing, you know, introspective process uh, that isn't really empowering what it was meant to empower. And at the same time, those of us from another stream of the church, maybe the evangelical missional stream, uh, we're so busy rushing off into the world to save it for Jesus. We actually forget to attend to the person of Jesus who is already present in the places that we go and uh, seek to make him more fully known. Hello and welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for honest conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and to the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I'm so glad you're here for this episode. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed the Rough Cuts season. Uh, We're entering into a new three-part podcast series on prayer. So for those of you who don't know, Follower is not only a podcast, but it's a community of learning and practice in the way of Jesus. And every now and then what we'll do is put together what we call a focus, which is an extended period of time where we lean into one um, practice that we see in the life of Jesus and we learn and we practice that together. And we just finished up a nine-week practice on prayer. And so for the next three weeks on the podcast, you're going to be getting the key teachings around um, contemplative prayer, uh, intercessory prayer, and the prayer of examine, uh, which we explore together as a community. And I hope that they are helpful for you. And also maybe pique your interest a little bit um, about joining us for the next focus uh, that'll be coming up next year. So uh, without any further ado, we're going to jump into the first of three conversations, this one with Liam Burns. Uh, Next week, we've got Jill Weber speaking to us about intercessory prayer. And then finally, I'll end it off with some thoughts on the prayer of examine. So hope you enjoy it. And uh, welcome back again to the Follow Podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, Really such a privilege to be be with all of you. I saw there's a few Cape Townians, which is fantastic. We're down in the deep south of Cape Town in, in a little place called Comakey. Uh, we've lived here for 14 years now. We we came on our DTS outreach from Kona to the township of Masapumalele. And uh, my wife and I, who's from Scotland originally, as you can hear from my accent, I'm not from Cape Town. I'm from uh, the southwest of England, a little place called Cornwall, which is beautiful. Um, But I studied uh, theology in Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland, and that's where my wife is from. So we were kind of interns in a church plant together. And uh, yeah, I was... uh, her brother was my best friend. So it was kind of great, great circumstance there. Um, and when I was in Scotland, actually, I was training to be an Anglican priest, strangely enough. And uh, then after we were married, I uh, did a DTS. So we some of the few people who didn't meet our uh, spouse in YWAM, we actually went and uh, did a DTS after we were married. And uh, yeah, we have been really uh, honored and, and blessed to be able to call South Africa home. Um, As those of you who are from here, those of you who live here know, it's a contested environment. And yet uh, we really believe uh, God has a special anointing on the nation of South Africa to uh, 
keep continuing journeying towards redemption, both uh, personally and uh, as a nation. And so um, I know, I think I saw somebody comment earlier that uh, they're getting a candle ready for load shedding. And that's why my little uh, lamp is here, just in case we have a uh, unusual cutout. And so, uh, again, as, as Matt said, we've never met before. Uh, I, I similarly have friends who've spoken very highly of him. And uh, I've, I've tried to find out a little bit about you guys. And the little I know of what has gathered you together, I just want to say I'm a, a huge uh, cheerleader for. I, I just love what it is that you're about. Um, we are, our hearts are very similar. We, we are really trying to help equip and live a life that is really with God, a life deep in the presence of God for the sake of the world. And, and uh, you know, so often uh, in, in the history of the church, uh, the good things of God have been separated up from one another, right? So um, what we're going to talk about tonight, the contemplative tradition of prayer, uh, sometimes that has been kind of separated from um, mission and from life in the world for the sake of the world. And it's just become almost this kind of like navel gazing, you know, introspective process uh, that isn't really empowering what it was meant to empower. And at the same time, those of us from another stream of the church, maybe the evangelical missional stream, uh, we're so busy rushing off into the world to save it for Jesus. We actually forget to attend to the person of Jesus who is already present in the places that we go and uh, seek to make him more fully known. And so, uh, yeah, I love what you guys are about. Love that um, the Spirit of God has drawn you into the midst of this community. And uh, so Matt, as he said, asked me to come and try and introduce contemplative prayer. Um, I, I want to start by saying I am not a classic contemplative, if any of you know what that means. Um, I, I've really been kind of drawn into the contemplative a little bit out of the need of what I just mentioned there, you know, our desire to go and be in the world on behalf or in Jesus's name. Uh, just continued to create this rhythm where I was aware, wow, I this rhythm of repentance, really, where I had to just keep turning around and going, oh, Jesus, I need you. If I don't immerse uh, my heart in your presence, in your goodness, gazing on the beauty of who you are, um, delighting in you and receiving your delight in my life, uh, what do I have to give this world? You know, I might have some great cliches and some phrases, but the very power, the, the power of the spirit I'm meant to be going into the world and, and being a carrier of, I'm really not going to be participating in it in a meaningful way. And so, um, so yeah, a little bit of my background, as I said, I was training uh, in, in on a pathway to be an Anglican priest. So I studied theology and uh, systematic theology at that, which is, uh, for any of you who know anything about that, is probably the furthest thing away from contemplative prayer, maybe. Um, but it it, it really uh, was a season where uh, God took me deeper in really understanding the beauty and the coherence of who he is, the world he's made, and the way that he has offered himself in the person of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, to really see newness of life. And so, um, yeah, in, in that context, I, I realized that um, I, I was learning a lot about the history of the church, the riches of it. And in that context, um, I recognized the classic temptation to know about God, to know about God. But of course, this invitation of prayer, and, and maybe particularly the invitation of contemplative prayer, is not just to know about God, not just to speak to God, not just to ask God for something, not just to listen to God for him to say something, but just to be with God. 
And there's something in the heart of the contemplative tradition, some of the practices that maybe we'll discuss a little bit, that is this deep invitation to intimacy that is beyond words. And uh, much of my day-to-day uh, -day work is actually teaching theology. So speaking words about Jesus, helping people use words more uh, succinctly and maybe more carefully uh, when they speak about Jesus and his kingdom. Uh, but there's actually a reality beyond the words. Thank God for that. There's a word underneath the words. You know, there's Jesus Christ, uh, a person who we get to encounter and live in intimate relationship with. So uh, as Matt said, I, uh, you guys are working through the Lord's Prayer and, and I would say, um, of course, the whole prayer is just this beautiful, multifaceted explanation of the dimensions of prayer. But if I had to pick a line in that prayer that I thought would um, represent the contemplative uh, stream of prayer, I would say it's the, it's the phrase, uh, your will be done, your kingdom come. And, and we want to, uh, you know, part of the invitation to pray the Lord's Prayer is to pray in order that we would live it, right? And so the, the line, your will be done, your kingdom come, we're actually trying to speak something into being in one sense. We're trying to speak to our inner person and say, not my will, your will be done, not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. And of course, uh, this line in the Lord's Prayer is actually a foreshadowing of something Jesus himself, as he moves through the trial of um, looking to the suffering uh, of the cross, he himself prays, uh, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And uh, I, I think what that opens up in the heart of discipleship is a recognition that the core of discipleship is surrender. Whatever else it is about, those are surrendering at the heart of discipleship and the journey of discipleship, the, the pathway, the lifelong journey in the same direction uh, is, is actually this, this process of continuing, continually developing a deeper surrender. And uh, the wonderful thing about the journey of discipleship is that God has all the time in the world, that he really isn't in a hurry. Uh, that some of us, you know, in our zeal and our enthusiasm, and I think God loves that, but sometimes we can run ahead of the place where God is trying to meet us right now. And uh, contemplative prayer reminds us to sit in the place that we really are in the presence of God and, and take account of where we are and say, okay, in this, I surrender. In this, I open my hands. You know, Often writers on the contemplative prayer will talk about certain postures that you might take in prayer. Really, the postures are just a way of communicating without words. You know, hands open and up is just a very simple way of recruiting our bodies to say, I'm open. This time is yours. I am yours. Every, all that I can know about myself, I, I give over right now and surrender. And so... How do we how do we step into deeper surrender? Well, surrender really is an action of the will. Uh, but sometimes in discipleship, we get kind of caught in thinking that like we're just going to bend our will with like sincerity or enthusiasm, you know, but actually our will is moved by our heart. Our will is shaped. Our actions are shaped through the desires of our heart. And what is really tricky in discipleship sometimes is how do we uh, re-center or, or reorient the desires of our hearts? Because they really take place before our brains are engaged. Before we kind of think good thoughts, we desire in, deep, in a deeper kind of precognitive part of who we are. 
And so uh, what I I think reshapes our our, our uh, desires is what we contemplate, what we gaze on, where it is that we orient the gaze of our heart, the desire of our heart. And so contemplation as a form of prayer is a form of prayer that really sets itself to gaze on God in the person of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So it's a form and a tradition, it has a history of prayer that directs our hearts by directing our gaze on the, the truly desirous one, the one who is worthy of it all. And uh, I, I think many of you will be familiar with, with uh, uh, the idea that you know spiritual formation is, is not just uh, something that people who are really intentional or kind of expert Christians engage in, that everyone in the world is engaged somehow in a curriculum of spiritual formation. But the question is, uh, which spirit are they being formed by, right? What is the end that that spiritual formation is directing them to? Everybody is being shaped and formed and directed. And, and so spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is spiritual formation ordered on Christ, directed towards Christ, a gaze set on him and a spirit that animates the Holy Spirit, the, the spirit of Christ animating and directing our heart to desire God above all else. So, so similarly, I would say uh, everybody is a contemplative, right? Everybody is contemplating something. Every person is setting the gaze of their heart on an ultimate goal, an ultimate desire. And, and this is true of, of even Christians. You know, we, we would all know the, the kind of pious, correct response. Yes, I gaze on God. But actually, if somehow our, our heart was this kind of like printer or fax that was just kind of printing out the contemplations of our hearts, I wonder what that would say, right? For most of us, and I include myself in this, you know, we're contemplating our worries, our anxieties, you know, especially if you're in wire and you're worrying about money, <laughs> um, you're worrying about your future, uh, maybe you're considering your, your ambitions, your hopes, even some of your fears. And I wonder if you were to think about what you contemplate when you're alone, when you're still, when you're silent, maybe just when you wake up in the, in the morning, the first thoughts that just start ruminating in you. Where is the where's the gaze of your heart directed? What are the contemplations that are filling your inmost being? And how is that shaping you? How is that shaping you? So uh, in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18, uh, Paul says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. So we have been given uh, direct access by the Spirit to participate in uh, Jesus Christ, and he is transforming us in the power of his Spirit into ever-increasing stages of glory. And I just want to mention there again, uh, because this ever-increasing stages of glory can actually be a real friction point for us, because sometimes we wonder, man, why doesn't God just zap us and form us into his likeness? And I want to say, God enjoys spending time with you. And I want to say again, he is not in a hurry. He is so present to you. He's kind to you. 
And he will continue to lead you forward in that kindness step by step. And, and one of the things we I mentioned when we were talking just before this call started is, is that prayer is so often a source of shame, a source of guilt, a source of uh, embarrassment in our lives, because we all know we should pray. And we all have a suspicion that we should be better at it. We should do it more often. We should be more articulate. You know, we should all of these things just fill in the blank. And I just want to say this evening that Jesus gives us an easy yoke. And that's true in mission, but it's also true in prayer. And that doesn't mean that we just respond passively. We have to come with all that we are. We have to come with intention. But the work of prayer is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. We just make ourselves available to, you know, as Paul says in Romans, that the inner groanings of the Spirit are in us. And we just give that expression, even if we can't, and maybe especially if we can't find the words. Okay, so so the contemplative tradition of uh, of Christian prayer is actually um, moved by, it's it's kind of animated by an impulse that maybe some of us might be more familiar. You know, I, I'm if I had to guess, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but if I had to guess, I'm guessing most of us here are not Roman Catholics. And, and Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox tradition is really where most of uh, the contemplative tra- prayer tradition exists in, in the history of the church. But I want to say... Um, for, for those of us who are, you know, if I had to, I'm, I'm just guessing here that most of us are in this kind of evangelical, charismatic kind of triangle. Maybe not all of those you would want to gladly take on those labels, but in that kind of being formed in that matrix. And so I want to say, actually, the impulse of the contemplative tradition is exactly the same impulse as the charismatic and Pentecostal traditions. It's it, the impulse is to know God. To have a, a kind of personal kind of knowledge, a, a knowledge that's founded and encompassed by a relational encounter with God himself. And so I, I grew up, uh, I became a Christian uh, when, in my later teenage years. I, uh, I, it's a, a long, longer story than I have time to take uh, to tell this evening. Uh, but I was uh, kind of gone off the the deep end into some areas of kind of drug addiction and things like that. And I, I got brought into faith in my late teenage years uh, through a Teen Challenge Crusade, which was like a drug rehab crusade. And uh, in that context, I got drawn into a an evangelical Bible teaching church, which I'm so grateful for. It, I, it's so much of that heritage I'm deeply grateful for. And if those of you know that, you know that that tradition in that area, it was it's it really created a great foundation in me. And 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 while I'm grateful for all of the foundation of it, part of what it kind of communicated at another level is it's enough to just know about God. And yet the invitation is not just to know about, but to know in a deeply personal way. And so I'm sure you've heard this kind of example before, you know, but I could tell you all the details about my family back in the UK, right? I've got family in Scotland and in Cornwall. I could tell you uh, when they were born, where they work, what they enjoy. I could post pictures up here, um, but you, you would know about them, right? You wouldn't know them. The, the reason I know them is because I've I've had a history of relational encounters with them, uh, and I know them in a way that is deeper than I can really put into words. You know, the the people I know really well, like my wife. You know, I she can walk into a room and I can know what she thinks without her saying any words. Right? It's mostly, can you pick up some of this stuff? Because there's a lot of stuff around. But but you know, I can in, intuit something because I have a deep relational knowing of who she is. 
And that is the invitation of God to us, to not just to know about him, not just be, to become great professional Christians that can wax lyrical about all the types of things that we might want to, but really, do we know him? Do we know the word that is beneath the words? Okay, so Paul gestures towards some of this in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, where he's he's really talking about the new eschaton, but that's breaking in now. So I think this still kind of counts. He says, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And I want you to pay attention to how he's using the word know there, because uh, th this word is actually he's speaking about a relational knowing, not this kind of Western enlightenment education way of knowing, which is just to know about. And so when, when uh, some of the Eastern traditions are trying to talk about this kind of knowledge in the place of prayer, they describe prayer in this way. They say to pray is to stand before God and allow our minds to descend into our hearts, to, to let the mind fall into the heart. Okay, so what we do have to understand first is that in the ancient world, the heart was not what we call it now, which is the place of where our emotions live. It was the seat of our communion with God, where the Holy Spirit dwells. And by using that phrase to pray before God is to allow our minds to descend into our hearts, is the contrast between the busyness of our internal mental effort to figure our lives out, to figure our world out and our own strength, and instead to release that mental uh, level of uh, activity and allow it to descend to the place where God's indwelling spirit is with us. And so from that place, when we learn to more fully live in that place of our heart, the place of communion with God, we will live and move and have our being, as, as Paul says, to, to pick up a, a poet of the ancient, uh, the ancient times, we will live and move and have our being in a way that enjoys communion with God, that our lives out in the world will be forms of prayer, will carry the place of prayer to where we do our, our work and mission. Okay, so... Here are some of the theological convictions that sit at the heart of contemplative prayer. The first is at the heart and center of our entire universe, everything that's created is, is a relationship of love, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the deepest reality in the world is not good ideas, not an ultimate being or impersonal power, but a loving relationship. And therefore, all our access to real knowledge of the universe is relational, including prayer. Okay, second, uh, the uh, contemplative prayer has a conviction that God's presence is actually the core theme of the narrative of the Bible and God's intention in the world. His desire to dwell amongst his people is the golden thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And the problem, as it's recounted in the Bible, is not that God is not present that somehow God has evacuated and gone somewhere else. The problem is that people are not present to God's presence, right? And this is where contemplative prayer is going to offer us an ability to wake up again to the nearness and the presence of God. Okay, thirdly, the conviction that God does not need to be found, he is the one who has found us. 
And this links to the thing before about us becoming aware. And so uh, I know you're in Acts at the moment. So this is a little further on in Acts, Acts 17. God did this uh, where he's talking about the nations so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, even though he is not far from any one of us. And if I had a prayer for you guys as you move into a journey of deepening in prayer, I pray that you would just get so overwhelmed that God is so much nearer than you ever hoped or dreamed, that he is so much nearer and so much kinder in his presence than you anticipated. Okay, fourthly, uh, and I, I love that. I think Matt mentioned this in the beginning, but I just want to reiterate that these practices engaging in the discipline of prayer does not earn us anything. It doesn't get us any closer to God. It's actually just a space where we make space to pay attention to the real presence of God. And here's uh, another thing that maybe distinguishes the contemplative stream from maybe the charismatic or Pentecostal tradition is that the contemplative stream is not actually reaching out in the hope of an ecstatic experience. And actually, what it helps us recognize, especially those of us who have been grown and formed and are deeply grateful for maybe some of these uh, experiences that we might have had in worship, um, but realizing that there are stages in our discipleship where searching for ecstatic experiences may actually hinder our ability to know God, because we've become kind of almost addicted to know him in one way, when actually he wants to be known in every part of our life. He's in the mundane. As Brother Lawrence said, he's with him when he's washing the dishes. You know, for those of you who are mothers out there, he's with you when you're changing nappies. He's with you when you are uh, mowing the lawn. You know, he's with you when you're having a difficult conversation. God longs to be known in the everyday parts of our life. Okay, so those are, those are my kind of like, theological core convictions of the contemplative prayer stream all right so um let's take a let's take a moment there because i know i've just thrown quite a lot at you before we jump into uh just explaining the three practices So I'll just really give you dictionary definitions for these three two, three uh, practices. So, um, so so lectio divina. Uh, it's it's Latin for kind of spiritual reading or reading by the Spirit. Um, the the biggest thing to be aware of in this is it's prayerful, slow reading. So the goal of it is depth, not breadth, right? So many of us, again, our achiever evangelicalism wants us to like read the Bible in a year or, you know, stride through all these chapters and all that good stuff. And again, that's a way to read and it forms us in a particular way, which we can be grateful for. But Lectio is focused on prayerful, slow reading. And the goal is not analysis, okay? The goal is not to sit over the text, it is to sit under the tutelage of the Spirit as he unfolds the text personally for us. And so sometimes, you know, the main reading of the text will not be the point that the Spirit drops into our hearts. It might actually be a word that we're then uh, led to kind of chew on in the place of prayer that has a particular gift uh, to us. So, so uh, in one sense, the way to look at it is we're not uh, sitting over the text to read it. We're allowing the God that this text speaks of to read us, right? So that's the posture of Lectio Divina. It's not mastery over, but allowing the Holy Spirit to read us. It's not breadth, but depth. Okay, so that's Lectio in, in a nutshell. 
Um, centering prayer, uh, this does take a little bit of an explanation, but but it was developed really as an outworking of um, Lectio itself. So the last step in the Lectio, uh, the meditation reading is, is actually con uh, contemplatio, which is to con contemplate. And so centering prayer is was really developed because that was starting to get missed out. The silent prayer at the end of Lectio in monastic traditions was starting to get lost. And so uh, in the 50s and 60s, actually, um, Thomas Keating, Basil Pennington, and a few Roman Catholic uh, monks uh, started bringing up centering prayer as a way to recover this because they watched lots of people seeking um, seeking a form of meditation that was drawn from Eastern spiritualities, leaving the church and pursuing that. So in one sense, centering prayer started as a missional endeavor for people in the West who are moving towards Eastern seeker uh, tradition saying, hey, the, the Christian tradition has this at its core, at, at its heart is a place where we sit and we contemplate and we, uh, unlike the Eastern traditions, we actually contemplate a person who is for us and loves us. We're not trying to self-empty. We're trying to receive so that we're filled to overflowing, you know. And so um, it's really based on this verse, you know, whenever, uh, I think Matt mentioned this, whenever you pray, go into your room, shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so it's really a way of sitting and going, here I am, Lord. And, and taking every agenda off the table and just going, I'm here for you, you know, I, and and it's God who determines the consequences of that time, right? And so um, practically you, you sit and you kind of commit to set aside every thought or feeling or sensation, even if a very religious thought, you know, you're going to set it aside during that time of prayer because the purpose is just to be available and an and intent to, to focus on God's presence. And so you use a, a, a word, you pick a sacred word, and it really doesn't matter what it is, but, you know, it's helpful for it to be something like Jesus or holy or um, something like that. And, and again, the word is not, you're not thinking about the meaning, you know, you're not trying to figure out the meaning in, in, in centering prayer. You're using that word almost like a ping pong bat for the ping pong balls coming out of your mind and your body, where you're just batting away every distraction to remain available to the work of God in the place of stillness. Um, yeah, and then imaginative prayer, I think, was the third one you asked me to, to say something about. Uh, imaginative prayer is, again, just recruiting uh, our God-given imaginations. Um, a very uh, simple way that I've practiced this is, um, is that I, I just sit and consider, uh, and again, I don't try and get too detailed or fixated on this. I just sit and I just imagine the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit shared in love that overflows for me. And I, you know, so an imaginative form of prayer would be, I just imagine myself being kind of, uh, well, like we use this in some of our worship songs, right? A river just washing over me, renewing me, refreshing me, being giving rest to my soul. And then I will, you know, often move because we don't want contemplation to just be individual. So I always think about concentric circles, right? So the love of God, the love of God for me, right? And each of these, I'll just spend two or three minutes just focusing, moving slowly from the love of God, the love of God for me, the love of God for the people I love, the love of God for my neighbors, for my community, and just see how that you can just in your imagination uh, continue to create concentric circles that spread out as far as you can use your imagination to. And it just internalizes in a way that actually our minds and our bodies are made to 
be formed in this way. You know, it's only the last two, three hundred years we've become suspicious that God can use our imaginations to form us. And, and so this is, again, I think, a real contemplative um, tradition gift for those of us who are uh, evangelicals that we that we really press into the way that God's made us and the wisdom of people who have desperately sought God throughout the centuries of the Christian tradition. Well, that's all for this episode from the Follow Up Podcast. If you enjoyed that, please like, subscribe, share, uh, leave a review. All this helps us uh, get the podcast in people's ears. If you'd like to support us financially and help us get this podcast out into the rest of the world, you can do that at uh, www.wearefollower.com. Here's an excerpt from next week's episode that you can look forward to. Thanks again for listening. I think that setting aside time and place to really enter into the issues and to really enter into intercession and to allow it to touch our heart is a way that we can grow in intercession. And and I guess the question for us then is how willing am I to sacrificially lay aside my schedule and to labor in prayer and to battle on behalf of others?